Good morning. I'm Doug Hickson. I'm pastor here at Connection Church, and I am glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, we're going to study God's Word together. Uh, I'd ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that one home as our gift to you today. As you're turning to Romans chapter 12, uh, a couple of announcements I want to make you aware of. Uh, there should have been in your seats today a little schedule. If you didn't have one in your seat, there's some over on the counter of some events that are coming up this summer uh, over the next couple months that we want to encourage you to be a part of. Um, many of them uh, have to do with internal things in our church that you'll hear, but there's a lot of outreach going on. Uh, we're actually beginning this summer to do some outreach in Belfouche and in Deadwood and Lead, and we're excited about that and going to be doing some block parties and knocking on doors and inviting people to come to church. And so uh, we, uh, we are blessed to have some outside help from mission teams that will be traveling from out of state, but they're not here to do your job. Your job is to love your cities that are in the Black Hills. And so we want to encourage you to come to those events and to be a part of them because we want to have local faces who they might see at church on Sunday to uh, smile and invite them to come and then them see you here at church with them. And so we're excited about the possibilities of what God might do through that. So there's a schedule in there and that's kind of our giving back for June and July as a church. We want to be a church that is constantly trying to give back to our cities. And so uh, we want to encourage you to put on your schedule times that you can uh, be a part of that. There's actually some block parties that'll be going on this week in Belfouche. And so uh, you can make the trip over or if you live there, you can come out Monday and Wednesday. We're going to be at the big park. I think it's Harmon Park. And then the uh, Tuesday, we're going to be at, uh, I don't know, I call it the center of the earth or whatever that is, park there, center of the nation, geographical, which, you know, I always thought Belfouche was the middle of the world, but uh, now we know for sure there's a big spot over there. Anyway, we're going to be doing block parties over there, and we'd love for you to come and be a part of that. Last announcement I have for you today is that uh, normally on Mother's Day, there's kind of a baby dedication thing that normally happens in churches, and we purposefully didn't do it on Mother's Day, but we are going to do it on Father's Day. So if you are a parent uh, and you would like to dedicate your children to the Lord and to uh, uh, pray that God would, uh, number one, call them to himself and that he would, uh, they'd have the opportunity to accept Christ at some point. Uh, and then that you, as, as a parent, that you would uh, commit to try to live your life in a way that follows Christ and teach your home in that way. Our real purpose was to think, you know what, if a father is going to really be a spiritual leader in their home, that that would be a great time for them to dedicate and lead out by, by uh, dedicating their family to Christ. And so uh, if you would like to be a part of that deal uh, on Father's Day, uh, we would love for you to do that on the bottom of your guest card today. You can write uh, Dedication Sunday. Uh, we won't be baptizing babies because we don't believe in that. We, we, we uh, don't believe in infant baptism. We believe that baptism comes when you accept Christ and when you publicly tell the world that you've done that. In fact, we're going to be baptizing. Uh, Jason will tell you about that later. Uh, that's a different thing. But we do believe that it is a good thing for you to commit to follow Christ in your life and to set a spiritual marker for you and your family to do that. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can uh, sign up for that and, and we'll get you more information. Today I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're in the middle of this sermon series called Weird because in our day and time to live for Jesus 
it's going to look a little bit weird because we have a world that seems to be going in an opposite direction. And so to live for Christ means that uh, at times you're going to be feeling like you're swimming upstream, like you're going against the current, like you're trying to do what the world doesn't want to do. And so it is going to seem a little bit weird. But as a church, we know that uh, it is not weird. It is actually what should be normal because God's ways have never changed. God has never been questionable about what he thought about family, about morality, about society. He's always had the same opinion. And so although the world may seem it's, think, think, that, think that it is weird, we as a church believe that it should be what we should do. And so we're challenging you to live in a weird way and to follow Jesus. Today I wanted to kind of give you uh, what I, in my sermon planning, thought was going to be a sermon on spiritual battles. And honestly, I had prepared to be in Ephesians chapter 6, which is a great passage that talks about the spiritual warfare that is going on in our world today and how there is a battle for your soul. There's a battle for the souls of your children. There's a battle for this generation to try to, Satan's trying to take it over. And uh, Ephesians 6 will be your homework. So go home and read it. It's a great passage that talks about what we need to do battle. But as I uh, finish, was trying to finish up my preparation for uh, this week and, and trying to figure out what God wanted me to say today, he turned me towards Romans chapter 12 because I believe as, as important as it is for us to pick up our spiritual armor to have on those things that we need to do battle, there is also a battle for our mind. And once God begins to transform our mind and to change our heart and our mindset to be more about him than it is about the world, then that's where the real battles will be won. And so I want to encourage you to, to open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12, and I want to begin reading in verse 1. Paul says there, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, today what I want to do is to engage your mind because what needs to happen in your mind and in mine is that we lay our bodies down as a living sacrifice and God begins a transforming work in us to be more like Him. And so I want to kind of take this passage and, and break it down and just look at it phrase by phrase, uh, word by word, verse by verse today. Look in verse 1. Paul begins by saying, I appeal to you. Some versions say, I, I urge you. Paul is in this making a call to the believers of Jesus Christ, to those who have been saved by grace. He's, he's calling them out. There, there's actually some language in here that he's actually warning them of, of danger, that you are in jeopardy, that there's a problem that you are, you're facing, and, and I want to urge you, I want to call you out, specifically call, uh, calling to those who know Christ uh, as their Savior. And actually in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's the language that is used to the believers who are of one body and one mind. It doesn't mean that as believers in Christ that we all agree. I've been in church most of my life, and I haven't been in a church yet that agreed on everything, right? Except for the gospel. We can come together and agree that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Savior of the world, and that uh, the gospel is true, and that we can come together on that. So we can disagree about many things, but we come together in one mind, one heart, one body to do the work of the kingdom for God's sake and for his glory. 
So we're on one team. And in fact, if I could take just a moment today, one of the sad testimonies of, of my lifetime and what I have seen in my experience is that oftentimes churches feel like they are in competition with one another, that there is a, a battle between churches, that there is some sort of a, uh, we've got to keep up with the Joneses mentality, and if they're doing this, then we've got to do this, and if we've got to keep up with them, and if they've got more, then we've got less, then it's a bad thing. Can I just kind of dispel that for a moment? If they preach and teach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're telling the world of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're all on the same team. And so we should pray for each other and we should work together because I know at least in this city of Spearfish, South Dakota and in the Black Hills of South Dakota that it's going to take all of us working together to reach this region for Christ. It's not going to be one church has all the answers because we don't. God is the, is the reason that we are here and it's the, it's the calling of our heart. And so Paul is calling out to all those who have been saved by faith in Christ that teach and preach the salvation that comes in Christ alone, through faith alone, by God's grace alone. It's not because we have done something special, but we are those who are one body working together, uh, no longer divided by the religion that man has created, but we are drawn together by the love of God and the blood shed on the cross. And so what Paul says is that seeing that God wants us to use all of this, all of us working together to reach the world for Christ, and if I could just stand on the soapbox that I'm already on this morning, let me just say this. The world doesn't need more churches. Now that sounds really weird from a church planner who just helped start a church here in Spearfish, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The world doesn't need more churches. What it, what it needs is more committed believers of Jesus Christ who are willing to tell the world about Jesus, who are no longer ashamed and keeping inside the gospel message that's transformed our lives but instead take that message and live it out in our world today. Our, there's, there's churches all over the place. There's churches on every corner in our nation, but there are, no, there are not churches on every corner who are all telling the world about Jesus. And so if we, what the world needs is not more churches. It needs more people who are committed to take the gospel and, and let the gospel permeate the world that, is in, that, that they live in so that Jesus might take that knowledge of the gospel and share it with people who need their eternal destiny changed for the glory of Christ. Paul says, I appeal to you, fellow believers. He goes on in verse 1 to say, by the mercies... Of God. That phrase right there, I believe Paul has given to us as a reminder of what God has done for us. This morning, as I, as I stood and worshiped with you, as I listened to the songs that were sang, as I read the words and I sang the words to God, my heart has, is constantly reminded of what Jesus has done for me what Jesus has done for you. You see, he has saved you. He, if, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he has saved you. He has forgiven you. He has forgotten the sins of your past, and he has cleansed your heart and made you whiter than snow. And Paul wants us to be reminded. He says, I urge you, uh, and, and by the mercies of God, in, in remembering what God has done for you, the blessings he has given you, the salvation, the grace that he has given you, the mercy, the love, the forgiveness, the sanctification, the restoration, the accumulation of God's love wrapped up in your lives. Paul says, I want you to remember what God has done for you. And in that remembering, verse 1, he says, present your bodies 
as a living sacrifice. It means to present your bodies, to place your life on the altar. There is this mindset, if you can get in your mind, of the Old Testament system of sacrifice before Jesus came to pay the price for sins, there must be the shedding of blood. And this mindset is to place on the altar, to give to God the sacrifice that is necessary so that our sins might be covered. And he says, I want you to present your bodies. He said, I didn't want you to bring uh, some some lamb to be slaughtered. He said, I want you to present yourself. And in the Old Testament, there was this mindset that to make the sacrifice, we had to come to church and that priest had to give that sacrifice. And when Jesus came, he changed all of that. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. It says that you are a chosen race as followers of Christ, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may claim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. What the mindset is, is that when Jesus came, that we no longer needed a priest to get access to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. No longer do you need to come to your pastor and confess your sin. Let me just tell you, I thank God for that every day. I don't want to hear your sins. I love you and all, but I don't want to hear it, you know, uh, because you don't have to come to me. You don't have to come and tell your pastor what you have done. You can go directly to your heavenly father and confess your sins and ask him for forgiveness because you have been act, given access. You have get, been given permission to go straight to God's altar, to lay it down in front of him and say, God, here is what I have done and I am turning it all over to you. It's that mindset that as, as a priest, as a minister, that you are able to go and to lay down on the altar your sins in that action. In fact, in one of our meetings this week as, as Leadership and Connection Church, uh, one of our leaders said a very profound thing, that to actually be the healthy church that we need to be, we don't need more staff. We don't need more pastors who are supposedly professional in what they do. What we need is more ministers of the gospel who sit in the pews every week, who work and do the, the, the love of God, who, who are living it out daily, who are, who are uh, ministering to those who are around them. We need more ministers. We need more people who are willing to do the work of the gospel and not put it all on the church staff and on the pastoral staff of your church. Because what God wants is for us to offer worthy sacrifices as ministers of the gospel to a holy God. I know what you're thinking, though, because I think the same thing. But pastor, you don't know about my life. God wants me to lay my, my life down as a worthy sacrifice to a holy God. What about me? I, I, I know what is in my life. I know the things that I've done. In fact, when I look in the mirror in the morning, I don't think holy and acceptable. I think stained and messed up. I think scarred from what I have done. And on your own, you're exactly right. When you look in the mirror and you're thinking about who you are and you think those things, you're exactly right. But when Jesus comes into your life, his blood covers you and the scripture tells us that he washes you white as snow, that you become holy and acceptable, not because of you, but because of him. And so when you go and you lay your life down, it's not holy and acceptable because of some action that you have done. It is holy and acceptable because Christ has transformed your life and he is changing you. Paul's also dealing with a dualistic Greek philosophy of his day. 
that thought, I can live however I want and save my soul and I'll be okay. As long as I pray a prayer and I uh, give Jesus my heart and I give Jesus my soul, as long as my soul is saved, with my physical body, I can do whatever I want to do. And I want you to know that's not just a problem that Paul dealt with, it's a problem of today. There's a theology, there is a mindset in, in our day and time that I can live however I want, and as long as I believe in God that I'll be okay. Well, the Bible says that, that uh, Jesus is the only way, and, and not only is Jesus the only way, but it, it requires a transformation of not only your mind and your heart, but your actions as well. Your actions do not save you. Salvation comes through Christ alone, through faith alone. And, and, and by God's grace, he gives us those things. But what God wants you to do is present your body, not just your mind, not just your heart, but your whole self. Because a lot of times what we do is we want to give God what is, what is comfortable for us. What is okay. I, you know, God, I, I'm okay to give you my Sunday mornings for an hour. I'm okay to, to kind of live for you when it's convenient. And what God says is, I want all of you. I don't want part of you. Thankfully, Jesus didn't go to the cross and die for part of the world. Thankfully, John 3.16 doesn't say that for God so loved most of the world who would actually deserve salvation. Because I don't know about you, but I, I don't know that I would feel like I even qualified or even came close. But what God did was he, he sent his son to die for the whole world. And what Jesus wants for you is not part of your life. He wants all of your life. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that almost doesn't make sense to us because sacrifice means uh, uh, shedding of blood. Sacrifice means uh, laying it down on the altar and that the, the sacrifice would be killed. And what Jesus says is this, I want you to sacrifice yourself, but I want you to do it as you live your life. If you look in Scripture, you'll see this string throughout the gospel. In fact, Jesus over and over tells us, hey, as you go, make disciples. As you live, live in Jesus' name. Love in Jesus' name. As you give, learn to give generously as a loving Father would give. So there is this mindset of not just uh, laying it down and it being a one-time thing, but uh, being a living sacrifice that daily you are giving your heart, giving your life to Him, giving the controls of who you are, over to a holy God, turning over your life to what God wants to do, laying down on the altar everything that you have and leaving it there. Not my will, God, but yours be done in my life. Being a living sacrifice means being holy and acceptable. That language in the original Greek means to be set apart, that the work of grace in your life makes you holy. The work of forgiveness makes you acceptable. That, that God's promise of making us whiter than snow means because of God's grace, we can lay our lives down and become a worthy sacrifice. Sadly enough, though, most people who uh, come to church, give God what's left over. It's almost as if we clean out our garage sale stuff and say, God, here's, here's what I got left. I hope you're happy with that. God doesn't want your leftovers. He wants the best of you. He doesn't want what you've got left after the week's ripped you apart. He wants you to begin your week and to begin your day and to live every moment giving God your very best. And so many of us come and we're, we're tired and we're worn out and we're beat up and we say, God, here's all I got. This is me. I hope you like it. God says, listen, I didn't send my leftovers to die on the cross. I sent my very best. And I expect the same from you. Why? 
Look at verse 1. He says, because it is your spiritual act of worship. That Old Testament mindset of, of the priestly acts of worship that would bring and, and try to uh, focus the people of God on, on God and to, to uh, allow their worship to be something that is pleasing in the eyes of God. Jason, uh, Jeffrey does a, an amazing job on Sunday mornings and leading us in worship as we sing, but I want you to know that worship doesn't just happen here on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle that should be lived out every moment, every part of your day. As you walk down the street, as you work in your job, as you live in your home, God wants you to worship Him. And because of what Christ did on the cross, we got not only a direct line of confession, but we've got a direct line of worship that we're able to go into the presence of a holy God and to worship Him and to confess our sins and to repent and ask forgiveness, but also to say, God, we just want to be here today to thank you that you created an amazing place for us to live and you have blessed us with every good and perfect thing that's in our life. And we want to honor you and thank you for saving us and forgiving us and for giving us that second chance and that third chance and that fifth chance and that 20th chance when we messed it up. God, we worship you. We honor you. Your life should be a whole continuing act of worship. I read this quote this week that said, the only spiritual act of worship that honors and pleases God is the sincere, loving, thoughtful, and heartfelt devotion and praise of his children. What God wants from you and what God wants from me is not for us to come on Sunday morning and think we're checking another thing off the list in religious work to say, God, I'm good with you. I'm ready to hit the week. What God wants from you is sincere, thoughtful, heartfelt worship, not just today, but tomorrow and Wednesday and Saturday and when it's good and when it's bad, God wants to hear your worship. And that's what I believe pleases the heart of God. Look at verse 2. He says, it only begins with us laying it down. Verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Because there is a problem with conformity. That word conform actually is, is better translated as a sham. Something that has, has taken you and made a fool of you. It, it's tricked you into thinking that you should live like the world should live. I, I want you to know the world is not getting it right. They're heading down the road to destruction. destruction. It's been that way since the beginning of this world and it's never changed. The world is going to be heading down the wrong road and they're distracted us from the thing that we should be doing. You see, God is the one that should be worshiped, not the things in this world. But my guarantee in your life and in my life this week is there have been many times that we have not worshiped God and we have worshiped other things. We've worshiped uh, material things. We've worshiped relationships. We've worshiped our job. We've worshiped the gaining of, of money or, or, or whatever. And, it, and, and in those moments, we have abandoned the worship that should have been happening. And so Paul says, listen, verse 1, I urge you, there's danger ahead. Verse 2, do not conform. Do not be tricked. Do not be made a fool of by the world because you're headed down the wrong road. But then he says, do not conform do not uh, compromise, do not idolize, but then he says, but be transformed. 
Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. When we behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. What God says that he wants to do with you and with me is to change you from the inside out. When you came to Christ, if you were a believer in Jesus and you made that decision to give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we didn't like take you over to this Superman phone booth and say, okay, go in a sinner and come out a super Christian. Wouldn't that be cool? We'd all sign up for that, right? I mean, we go in and, and you know, just have amazing faith and amazing spiritual ability and amazing ability to, to do the works of God and to be faithful and never to do anything wrong. But it doesn't work like that, does it? My guess is whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 55 years, you are still in a transformation process of trying to be more like Christ. Because it doesn't happen in a moment. It takes a lifetime. And we're constantly in a journey. One time when, when I sat down with some men who were, who were mentors to me, and I sat down and I said, when does it get easy to follow Jesus? And these men in their 70s said, it's still not easy. And I was like, man, really? I mean, it doesn't get, no, it's still hard. And, it, and we're still being changed. And God's still working on our heart. And we're still sinful. And we make mistakes. And God's still working to make us more like him. See, it, it doesn't happen in a moment. But it, it happens when we begin to be changed from the inside out in our heart, in our soul, in our mind, in our body. It's more than a Greek philo- philosophical abandonment of the body, but it's the whole person. God wants all of you. He doesn't just want part of you. He doesn't want 10% of your life. He wants 100% of who you are so that it can be used for his glory and his honor. How does he do that? Look at verse 12. He says that he does that by the renewal of your mind. Whether you know it or not, you need an update. You need a reboot. You need a transformation of your mind. You need for your programming to be brought up to speed because you're on the wrong path and we need to constantly be looking. Has God got something for me today? Because every single day that you live, you need to be seeking out what does God want to change in my heart today? Thankfully, God doesn't, when, when, when we say, God, what's wrong with me? He doesn't open the darkness of our heart and show it to us all at once, right? But he just cracks the door and says, okay, you know, if I showed it all to you, you'd give up and you'd never want to change. So today I'm going to give you one thing. Change this today. And tomorrow I'm going to give you something else. And the next day I'm going to give you something else. And as we seek God, he begins to change us. He begins to transform us. He begins to work on us. Because if he tried it all at once, we'd freak out. And so he says, if you'll just work on this today, if you'll just be like me in this area of your life today, then I'm going to begin the transformation of your heart, of your mind, and of your soul. How does he do that? He says that he renews our mind by pouring us into God's word. You see, we believe as a church in the importance of God's word. We believe that it's the center of everything that we should believe, that we don't have an addition to God's word. We're not trying to write our own testimony, write our own uh, uh, theology to add to this. We believe that it's all here. Everything you need is, is held in God's word. It doesn't need to be added to or changed. It doesn't need to be brought up to date in today's society. Although the world believes that this is an old, outdated book, we know that this book is alive. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, for the word of God is living and active is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, 
and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What we need to be, believers in Jesus Christ, is people of God's word. We need to hide it in our heart. We need to memorize it. We need to devour it. We need to want more of it. In fact, as I prayed in the first service, I will pray for you that we need a passion and a hunger for God's word. What we don't need is a new president. What we do need is a revival in the church of America today to be transformed, to be more like Christ. And when we begin to do that, then our world around us will truly change. We need to be prepared and winning uh, in the battle that's spiritually going on in our lives so that a change of mind will happen and that we dive deeper into the Word of God. And then he says, look at verse, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Can I just give you a little bit of advice today? That if you have questions about who God is, I ask him. If you have questions about what God wants to do in your life, then ask him. I've had people who've sat in my office and said, Pastor, I just don't understand why God did this. Or I don't understand why God didn't do this. Why didn't he step in here? Why did he do this for them and not for them? Why, why did he bless them and, and not bless me? And you know what I've said to every one of them? I've said, you know what? God is big enough for your questions. He's big enough for you to, to yell and scream at him. In fact, if you'll take a look at your Bible, there are several instances where people got mad at God and they essentially went on a little rant and they just, they yelled and screamed and I believe they did a little cussing at God and they just said, God, I don't understand and, and here's, the, here's the frustration of my soul and God let them do their little thing and then he said, if you'll be quiet, I'll tell you. If, 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 you'll, if you'll finish up and get your little, you know, mad dance on, then, then I'll tell you what I want you to hear. See, God's not surprised by your questions. God's not surprised by your misunderstanding or your lack of understanding. But God is big enough to handle you yelling and screaming. In fact, I think it might even be therapeutic for some of you to go home today and just have a little moment with God. And then when you're done, and your yelling spell is over, then God will say in that still small voice, be still and know that I am God. You're not in control. Your answer of what you thought should have happened in that situation was not my best. I am God. You're not. And he will in that moment bring you peace to know that he's never abandoned us, that he's always been near us. You see, Paul says that we know God, that we are transformed by testing so that we can discern, so that we can learn, so that we can prove what the will of God is for your life. Whether you knew it or not, whether you know Jesus or not, God has a plan for your life. Whether you've come to the point where you've accepted Christ or you're in that journey of discovering who Jesus is, God has a plan for you. He loves you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to follow him. The, the tough thing for us to understand is why God would love a world that would, would abandon him, why God would love a world that would never choose to follow him, but God loves them. He loves the world as much as he loves you and me who have accepted Christ. And he wants the world to know that he has a plan. And his plan is perfect. And it's never caught off guard. You see, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is what? Good, acceptable, 
and perfect. Here's what I know. I'm 40 years old. This month I'll be 41. In all of my life, God's never messed up. In all of my life, his plan has always been perfect. It's my plans that get screwed up. It's my plans that have holes in them. It's my plans that cause me to find myself wrecked in a ditch and come into God with the broken pieces and asking him to repair them again. God's will is always perfect. It's always on time and he's never late. So how do we do this? Three things this morning. Number one, if you're going to uh, live the life that God wants you to live, if you're going to be able to do spiritual battle in a world that seems to be going the opposite way, then number one, you need to surrender your life. You need to be willing to lay down all that you have on the altar. Here's the problem. Most of us are willing to say, God, I got problems. I got issues. I want you to help me with them. And you lay them down on the altar and you say, God, I want you to do a miracle. I want you to do a work in my life. And then as soon as you're done praying, you pick up all your stuff and you carry it back home with you. Not real smart. We've all done it, right? We've all done it. But it's not smart. Hey, you got to leave it. You got to surrender. You got to believe that if, if God is really powerful enough to answer my prayers and to change my life and to do a miracle, then he's powerful enough for me to leave it there and trust him with it. You need to surrender your heart and your life to lay it all down the altar and let him have control. The second thing is that you need to worship God. As I was preparing God changed my direction. And as I, I was finishing up and, and said, God, surrender, that makes sense. And then we need to learn to worship you. As I began to hear, uh, say that and God gave me that word, then he put in my mind a song. It's an old hymn. It says that to worship God, that you need to get this mindset. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white as snow. You see, worship means that I recognize that I could not fix it and only God could. Worship means that I recognize that there is no way on my own that I can find the good in my world, but God can. That every good and perfect thing that I have comes from God, that I have not been able to accomplish anything on my own, that I can only make mistakes. I can't do anything good on my own, but God has blessed me. And that blessing causes me to want to worship him that on my own I could never pay the price for my sin, that on my own that I would be stained forever by what I have done. But Jesus came to the cross and he paid my price. He paid my bill. He paid my penalty. And that when I come to him and I ask him for forgiveness, that he washes me white as snow. When we grasp that, when we understand that, when we comprehend that, then worship takes on a whole new attitude. It's more than singing songs on Sunday. It is an attitude of my life that I recognize that I need to be under the authority of an almighty God that has blessed me in a way that I could never repay. I worship him. I surrender my life. And then lastly, I become a living sacrifice. Being a living sacrifice means this, that I decide that I'm going to walk into my world this week with the understanding that I have been bought with a price, that Jesus has paid for me a price that I could not pay on my own, and that I am under orders as a follower of Jesus, that I'm under authority of a king, and that I'm following his ways, and I'm submitting to his authority, 
and that I'm following whatever he asks me to do to be transformed by the power of God's word and to watch his hand at work in my life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be any longer thinking that I can orchestrate good in my life. What I want to do is I want to understand that I am under the authority of a heavenly father who loves me and who blesses me and that I need to surrender give him worship and to offer my life as a living sacrifice for whatever he wants. When we come to that place of surrender, you'll find that in in that moment of surrender that there's freedom and that freedom brings us peace and that peace passes the world's understanding. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you allow us to be in your presence. Lord, thank you that we don't have to go to a pastor or a priest to come into your presence, but God, as children of God, we can come to you today and just thank you that you love us, that we get the opportunity to be in your presence, to love you, to worship you, to sing songs to you, to thank you for what you have done for us. God, I pray today that we would be your children who are obedient and who follow in your ways. God, we need a transformation of our hearts. Lord, we, we too often conform to the ways of the world. And God, today we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom to say, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. But we're going to have a transformation of our heart. We're going to have a transformation of our mind. And we're going to follow you in whatever you ask us to do. God, I pray today for those in this room who may not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray today, Father, that you would help them to see that today is the day of salvation, that you have called them to yourself. Lord, I pray that if there's someone under the sound of my voice who needs to know you as personal Lord and Savior, that they would believe in their heart with all sincerity, and God, that they would pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I confess to you everything that I've ever done wrong. I ask you to come into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me as white as snow. God, would you uh, help us to live our life that, in a way that you would be glorified. God, we believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again on the third day. God, we ask that you would transform us to make us more like you. Lord, you've told us that when we pray a prayer like that and we believe it, that the gospel is true, the the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is true, and God, that the heavens rejoice because of those who would give their heart to you. And so, Father, we pray today if someone prayed that prayer, that you give them courage not to keep it inside, but, Lord, to tell somebody about it what they've done. Lord, we need you. We're desperate. God, I pray for the people under the sound of my voice, the people of Connection Church today, Lord, collectively collectively we pray that you would give us a hunger for your word. God, that you would give us a passion for knowing you. God, that One verse a day, one verse a week, one chapter a week would not be enough, Lord, that we would dive into your word and, God, that you would give us a a passion and desire to know you more. God, that we would not be satisfied with just a little. 
God, that we would be hungry to know you. God, may Connection Church be a place that is known for holding high the word of God, for believing that it has great power, power to change not only our lives, but power to change the world. So God, would you make it come alive in our midst? God, would your Holy Spirit reveal to us things that we've not seen before, that it would become as new to us, Lord, that it would become alive and that it would change who we are. And in that, Lord, that we would be transformed. And God, that we would know what your will is that is perfect and never late and always on time. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. The grace is available to all who would come to the cross. And Father, today we lift your name up and we worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you